Well, this morning we're continuing on in our sermon series titled Exodus, Saved for God's Glory. We have a passage, kind of a long one. We're looking at Exodus chapter 5, the entire chapter. Um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever pursued what was right and good only to have life get harder? Have you ever committed to being obedient to doing life God's way, only to find yourself later deeper in a hole. What we'll see in this passage is that Moses is at the center of God's will, and yet he entered a period of exceeding opposition that led to doubt and disillusionment. I think we can learn from what we're about to read. Exodus chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went up and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, than that that they may labor at it, and pay no more regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will give you no, I will, I, I will give, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent saying, complete your work, your daily task each day. And when, uh, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmaster had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work, no straw will be given you, but you will still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. And they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Aaron, uh, Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. 
and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy towards us this morning. I confess I find myself uh, in the minds and hearts of these people tempting to doubt you, your presence, when there's difficulty. Help us to press some important truths into our lives this morning. May we hear from you by your spirit that dwells in us, we pray. Amen. Well, there's a young country recording artist out there named Hunter Hayes. Yes, I, I from time to time listen to country music. Is that all right, living on Long Island? Yeah, a few thumbs up. There we go. Perhaps you've heard of him. He's kind of a crossover artist. He's young. He's good looking. He's got a great voice. Um, in this new song that comes out, that came out, he, he talks to God. He acknowledges God's hand over his life, but, but things aren't going well. So he keeps repeating in the chorus, Dear God, are you sure you don't mess up? We're going to watch a little clip of the video. Here I go again. Three glasses in, counting my scent, home alone again. It's three in the morning, just me and my demons at war again. So I'm calling, are you listening? You made a man that's fragile, you made a heart that can break. You showed me the road, let's travel, knowing I'm gonna run away. You make me love so hard, when everything I love just leaves. Are you sure there's nothing wrong with me? And why does my life have to hurt so much? Why can't I find any peace of love? And why do I feel like I'm not enough? Dear God, are you sure that you don't mess up? Dear God, are you sure that you don't mess up? Everyone in this passage that we just read is having a moment where they're saying, Dear God, are you sure that you don't mess up? Everyone except Pharaoh, of course, king of Egypt. He's cocky and confident. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? But all the Israelites in bonded in in Egypt and even Moses himself are thinking and they're crying out, Dear God, are you sure that you don't mess up? A little context might be helpful. I know in going through the book of Exodus, we're really kind of focusing on Moses and so we're skipping over a few parts and we we didn't really touch on Exodus chapter 4. But what happens is the people of God are crying out to the Lord, crying out to God for rescue, and he hears them. And in the verses just prior to our passage, if the Bible's open, your Bible's open, you'll see it, but Moses and his brother Aaron arrive in Egypt, and they, and they talk with the elders, and they talk with the people, and they show them miraculous signs meant to prove that God has sent them, and he will deliver them. And how did the people respond when they saw this and they heard from, from the Lord? How did they respond? The very last sentence before our passage that we just read reads like this. 
and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Hallelujah! Yahweh has heard. Yahweh has seen our cries. He's sent us relief. It is sure. It is coming. You can bank on it. And then, like maybe two days later, then calamity comes. Moses goes to speak to Pharaoh, and instead of getting released from slavery, their lives in Egypt become tragically worse. Dear God, are you sure that you don't mess up? So here's an important truth that the people of God can, um, that we can learn from these people of God in our passage. Obedience to God's call does not mean that everything will be easy. Okay, Mark, we get that. Well, we understand it in our heads, but when, when tragedy hits or some hard time comes, we have a real hard time wrapping our heads around the reality that obedience to God's call does not mean everything will be easy. Often when we are in faith obedient to God's calling upon our life, things get harder, not easier when we commit to obedience. For instance, have you ever been an employee who knew something another employee was doing was wrong, perhaps even breaking the law, and, and when you reported it, did you get labeled as a troublemaker? Or maybe you've come to understand the importance of tithing and you want to commit to providing um, for God's kingdom. You've trusted in God. But then like a week later, after this major decision, your car breaks down or, or that big sale you were kind of banking on doesn't come through. Or maybe you're a single woman who desires to be married, but you have certain standards for what that man will be based on Scripture. Have others tried to get you to lower your standards, to go out with some guy who's wealthy or attractive or, or fun, even though he's not committed to following after Jesus Christ? Obeying Jesus in your singleness can be difficult. You wonder, dear God, are you sure that you don't mess up? Understand this. Moses was at the center of God's will, yet he met serious opposition. Obedience led to suffering. Moses learns what we'd be wise to learn. Obeying God is not a pain-free life. In fact, faith plus obedience does not equal easy street. What we'll see this morning is that because obedience often leads to hardship, we must entrust our lives to God despite our circumstances. We're going to spend our time under three headings. First, the declaration, then the drama, and then the discouragement. First, the declaration. Did you pick up on it? Moses is now a changed man. Because why? He's had an encounter with God. It gave him confidence and boldness. We see it in verse 1. Moses and Aaron risked their lives to speak to Pharaoh. You understand that, right? They go into his presence. We see Moses, he's no longer a selfish, immature, self-centered man of privilege that he once was. His 40 years in the wilderness of Midian had humbled him. Now we see Moses speak God's word to Pharaoh with confidence and with power. Verse 1, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. What has changed for Moses? Moses has met the living God. Moses was changed by God's revelation to him. Moses met God in the wilderness at the burning bush. 
What changed Moses was God himself. You see this in the New Testament as well. Consider uh, Jesus' disciples in their early days, right? They come across as impulsive and kind of slow-witted and kind of weak in the knees, do they not? They don't quite understand Christ and his kingdom and his calling. Of course, you remember Peter's threefold denial of Jesus on the night in which he needed him most. But somehow these seemingly incompetent disciples become bold spokesmen of the gospel, risking even their own lives. What happened to them? Why the marvelous transformation? They met the great I Am. The resurrected Lord came to them and met with them, and then everything fell into place. On a similar level, every Christian has shared this experience. To me, to be a Christian means that you don't just know of Christ, but that you know him. He has come to you. He has revealed himself to you through through the revelation of God's word by a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And what you've now come to realize, no doubt, is what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that, that God enjoys using the foolish things to confound the wise, right? That, that Using the weak things of this world to, to shame the strong. As Anthony Salvaggio writes, like Moses and the apostles, every believer is transformed by the power of the living God. Grace Church, may we be a church that, that love, that we, that we love God, we trust in Him. May we be people who are confident and bold to share with our neighbors about God and His glory, about this gospel, about the Christ and His kingdom. Let us not be surprised when there's opposition. Let us be faithful to proclaim Christ and his kingdom to the lost. When Moses approached the throne of Pharaoh, he came as a changed man. He did not come to negotiate. He came with a simple command. It was based on God's authority, God's word. Let my people go. God has spoken. It was now Pharaoh's turn to encounter the power of the living God. How would he respond? Would he be transformed like Moses? Would he have a change of heart and obey? Or would there be opposition? Let's turn to the drama. What we see in the drama is that though Moses and the people are acting in obedience to God, life gets harder, not easier. The words, let my people go, no sooner leave his lips than Pharaoh shoots them down hard. Verse 2, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? (laughs) Now remember, when you're looking in the Old Testament and you see those words, the Lord, and the word Lord is in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's an English translation for the Hebrew word. It's literally the name of God, Yahweh. So often when I'm reading my Bible, I'll just insert the word Yahweh when I see the word Lord in all caps. God has a personal name, Yahweh. He's given it to his covenant people. His name is Yahweh, the great I am. So Moses tells Pharaoh that Yahweh, the God of Israel, says, let my people go. And Pharaoh mocks him. Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice? In Egypt, there are a lot of deities, lots of gods. In fact, Moses was, excuse me, Pharaoh was considered to be an incarnation of all of Egypt's gods. Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh? I don't even know him. You know, it's a dangerous thing not to know the Lord. It places you on the wrong side of history. It means that if you're not for Yahweh, then you're against him. 
But with Pharaoh, it was more than just a lack of knowledge. Pharaoh's words aren't so much a statement of ignorance, but of what? Defiance. Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh that I should obey him? When confronted by the potential of another god or a deity, Pharaoh thinks thinks of himself too highly to consider any alternative than his own supremacy. Now, before we point at Pharaoh from our own islands of our own innocence, know this. There is this tendency in all of us. We too in our hearts say, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I have too many important things to accomplish in my life. If the Lord was to have his way with me, I would have to relinquish control to him. And there's something inside of all of us that does not want to bow a knee to God. You know, the problem I had in my atheistic days when I was younger wasn't that God didn't exist, but I just didn't want God to exist, right? Back then, I thought that my lack of knowing the Lord was a head problem. Your head problem. You Christians, your heads are all messed up for believing in a God. But really, my problem wasn't a head problem. It was a heart problem. See, like Pharaoh, if I acknowledge that the Lord is the great I am, then like Pharaoh, I'd have to yield my life to him. And isn't that what it is to be a Christian? To yield our life to the Lord? To say, you've given your all for me. In response, I give my life back to you. That you may have your way with me. That your glory may be worked in me. No matter the circumstances. Pharaoh's heart and his mind do not bend to the things of God. Christian, let this truth soak into your being. We live in a world full of people whose hearts and minds do not bend to the things of God. Jesus spoke these words to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Here's what Jesus says. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It's the world we live in. Opposed to Christ and his kingdom, his love, his mercy, and grace. And so Moses and Aaron continue to make their case. In verse 3, they say that Yahweh is the God of the Hebrews and and that he has personally met with them. And they say, please, please, let us go make sacrifices to Yahweh our God lest pestilence or the sword falls on us. They want to know that things could get bad, not just for the Israelites, but also for you, Pharaoh. See, if if something happens to us, we're your huge labor force. Something happens to us, your building projects will get put on the back burner. But Pharaoh is not dissuaded. In verse 4, he says, Moses and Aaron, why do you take your people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Pharaoh is absorbed with his own glory. He was perhaps thinking he could surpass all of the pharaohs before him with these wonderful building projects. They get bigger and bigger. He saw the Israelites as tools in his tool chest. He did not see them as human beings made in God's image, deserving God's mercy and justice. And so Pharaoh gets vindictive. In verse 6, he calls in the taskmasters and the foremen. Now, the foremen were actually Hebrew uh, leaders over the Hebrew slaves. They were intermediaries between the Egyptian taskmasters and the slaves. So Pharaoh calls in the Egyptian taskmasters and the Hebrew foreman, and he lays the hammer down. Verse 
verses 7 through 9, Pharaoh declares that the Israelites will no longer be given any straw. Straw was a critical component in making bricks. We probably don't know that today, but it was. From now on, the Israelites would have to scavenge for their own straw-like substitutes. But they still must make their daily quota of brick. Pharaoh purposely puts a heavier weight on them. Can you imagine the situation? Can you imagine just seeing them running frantically all around the land, trying to find uh, dried grass and dried weeds, straw-like substitutes? Because they could not produce enough bricks, the Hebrew foremen, they were beaten. Verse 15, the foremen risked their lives. They came before Pharaoh. They pleaded. Even then, Pharaoh held his ground and pushed back. Do you see how bad things have gotten? The Israelites were now out of options. There, there is no higher court to appeal to. Moses and Aaron met with Pharaoh and were rejected. Now the foremen as well. Their cries have fallen on deaf ears. And the Israelites are now experiencing greater suffering for their obedience. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, how things have changed. Just a few days earlier, they were believing in God and singing great praises to Him. And and now they're lamenting. Dear God, are you sure that you don't mess up? That's the drama. Now the discouragement sets in. In verses 15 through 20, we see discouragement manifested by two people. We see it in the foreman and Moses himself. In verse 15, the foreman cried out to Pharaoh, essentially saying, why do you treat your servants like this? You make us make the same number of bricks, uh, and when the people don't, which is impossible, they can't do it, you beat us. (laughs) We're your foreman. Now, the verb cry here in verse 15 is the same verb used earlier in chapter 2 where the people cried out to God for deliverance. Which leads us to consider perhaps perhaps the foreman were crying out to the wrong sovereign. It seems they should have cried out to God instead. It is His face they should be seeking, not the one who put them in bondage in the first place. Let me ask you, do you Do you take your problems to God in prayer? Is He your first resource you go to? Do you cry out like David in Psalm 86? Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you answer me. Pharaoh kicks out the foreman by repeating his demands. Go back to work. No straw. Same quota. Verse 19, we see that the, that the foremen, they realize they're actually doomed. The foremen depart and they, they find Moses and Aaron waiting for them. And now the foremen, they see that all it's lost and what do they do? They point their fingers at Moses and Aaron. Notice it doesn't seem like they've lost their faith in God, just those who proclaim that they come from God to speak on his behalf. Look at their harsh rebuke in verse 21. And they said to them, that's they, the foreman, to Moses and Aaron, Yahweh look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. 
the foreman think that Moses and Aaron have botched it, that they, that they just didn't handle the case properly. And because of Moses and Aaron's apparent failure, the Hebrews became a, a stench. You made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh. There's no amount of axe body spray that's going to ever overcome the stench. And it's all Moses' fault. They even declare that Moses and Aaron, they, you must have disobeyed Yahweh. You must have done something wrong. They say, may Yahweh look on you and judge. We're done with you. As we go through the book of Exodus in the weeks ahead, we will see that this won't be the last time that the people of God are done with Moses and his leadership. You know, it was the dead of winter in 2008, January. Uh, this church is only 10 months old. We were averaging about 35 people on Sundays, including kids. And I received a four-page single-spaced letter from someone in the church, four pages full of anger and judgment. Look at this puny church. You're a terrible pastor. You're a horrible preacher. You cannot be pleased. This obviously isn't what God had intended. It's not what I signed up for. I asked a man to meet with me. I asked him if this was really how he felt. He said, yes. I said, well, if it is, why are you still here? A little over a week later, his wife called to say they will not be coming back. Now, I mentioned this not to engender sympathy or to encourage or to, or to escape your proper scrutiny just to point out that at times people in the church become improperly discouraged with leadership. They somehow have bought into the notion that because you're attempting to build something beautiful for Christ's sake, that it means everything will prosper according to worldly expectation. That faith plus obedience equals easy street. The foreman representing the Hebrew slaves couldn't wrap their heads around two truths. One is God is for us. And two, we are suffering even more than before. They think that God would never have allowed this to happen. So therefore, it is Moses and Aaron who are to blame. They make us mistakenly presume that a good God would never let danger or harmful events happen to his people. You know, this way of thinking has been around for as long as there's been God's people on this earth. It still exists today. The question is, do you tend towards this way of thinking? So instead of crying out to the Lord for help with understanding, the foreman blamed the obvious failures, Moses and Aaron. But it's not just the people who are discouraged. Moses himself goes through a crisis of faith. Moses is discouraged. Because the people rejected Moses, Moses cries out to God, wanting to know why this happened. One commentator puts it, he did not understand why obedience made things worse. Moses questioned God in three ways. First, he questions God's goodness. Verse 22, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? And later in that verse, he questions God's purpose. Why did you ever send me? 
Lastly, he questions God's actions. And in verse 23, you have not delivered your people at Tony Merida points out that Moses reminds us of ourselves. Moses is, was an imperfect sinner like us. He was a man desperate, in desperate need of God's mercy and grace like us. And here he is in a crisis of belief. Now, on a positive note, he was crying out to God. Verse 22 begins, Then Moses turned to the Lord. Oh, that our instincts would always be to turn to the Lord. His was an honest groaning before the Lord. Moses, his complaint sounds a lot like some of the prayers in the Psalms, right? Like the beginning of Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, allow to God, and he, hear, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You know, it's okay to cry out to God with questions. Even Jesus on the cross cried out the words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Such questions are not sinful, provided they're done in humility, with honesty and faithful intentions. So in your discouragement, ask God your questions. But remember, He doesn't have to give you answers in the way that you might prefer them. Remember Job. He asked God a lot of questions. Didn't get many answers. But God does give us enough to go on. So, how does Hunter Hayes conclude his song, Dear God? If you've got Spotify, you can probably download it later and listen to it. Eventually, he gets to the end, kind of like Job. And he declares, it's really not your fault, God. Here are the last words he sings. Yeah, but why does my life have to hurt so much? And why can't I find any peace of love? And why do I feel like I'm not enough? Dear God, are you sure? Are you sure that you don't mess up? And then these three final lines. You don't mess up. I know you don't mess up. Dear God, just remind me that you don't mess up. By the end of his song, Hunter Hayes is able to make the following assessment. I know you don't mess up, but just remind me you don't mess up. My friends, the Israelites back in Egypt didn't have much knowledge of God, right? They didn't have much to look back on in their sufferings to remind them that God does not mess up. They didn't have much to point to that would cause them to reject the notion that faith plus obedience does not equal easy streams. But we're in a different situation. We stand on this side of the cross. And so for us, for you, when you find yourself immobilized by self-pity, remember this truth. 
In Christ, God reminds us that he does not mess up. For Jesus, faith plus obedience did not equal easy street. For Jesus, faith plus obedience equaled the cross. Just as God had told Moses to expect opposition and suffering, so too Jesus knew that his life would lead to opposition and suffering. Like Moses, Jesus was rejected by the very people of God he was sent to rescue. And you remember that first Palm Sunday? They were shouting, Hallelujah, we believe. But by Friday, they were shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. But where Moses languished in doubt, Jesus pressed on in faithful obedience to the cross. Jesus knew what we must come to know, that faith, faith plus obedience equals glory. Glory for God. And we're going to glory that God shares with us, yes, today, but even more so in the age to come. Glory meant to encourage us as we walk with faith in obedience. A glory meant to give us hope when faith plus obedience does not equal easy street. After we share the Lord's Supper, we're going to sing a wonderful hymn. It's titled, Jesus, I My Cross Have Taken. And in verse 4, we're going to sing uh, these words. In thy service, pain is pleasure. With thy favor, loss is gain. I have called thee, Abba, Father. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather. All work, all must work for good for me. Oh, that we would have eyes to see that because of Christ in our lives, His pain is pleasure, loss is gain, and all must work for good for us. Let's pray. Father, we confess uh, this is hard to wrap our heads and our hearts around. Um, on paper, it seems right and easy. But in life, when we obey you and walk out in faith and seek to honor you in our work and in our schools and here at this church and in our communities and, and, and things some, oftentimes get harder, not easier. We thank you that we can look to Christ, that we can cry out to you, Father. We might not have the answers we need, but we have the example before us of Christ and what he's done for us. May we be strong as a church. May we, may we serve with great grace and patience and fortitude, we pray. Amen.